0: Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all. Um, Special welcome to those of you who may be guests with us. We are so glad that you came um, to spend some of your morning with us. That's no small deal to us. And uh, I love the fact that some of you might even be there just trying to figure it all out. Like, wait a minute, that was the most awesome folksy worship, and then a brother came out to preach. Like, we just love variety and diversity and... So thankful for what Jesus does with His church. But well, we're so glad that you, um, you've joined us for the start of this new series. Now, I don't want to start with the bad news, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. So here's the reality: I still cannot get over the fact that the summer is just about over. Again, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reporting the facts. To you, It is crazy that just in a couple of weeks here, the fall frenzy is going to hit us and things are going to go insane. Now again, that's bad news for some of you um, who are not quite as safe, you know, or others who are like, oh my goodness, this is the best news um, ever. Now, honestly... Uh, as a family, we're kind of struggling with the reality that summer is coming to a close. And the craziness called the fall season is upon us. I mean, kids are going to start school again. College students are going to reenter the atmosphere. Uh, they're going to be here. Homework is going to come, and then more homework is going to follow. And then less Legos are going to be a thing. And then it's like no more sleeping in, fewer vacation moments and more work projects ramping up at the office, parents are going to miraculously transform you know into professional chauffeurs who take their kids from one thing to another to another to another soccer 's about to start pretty soon. football is going to start, and, and cross country is, is is going to start, and God knows God bless us tennis is even um, about to start, but the point is the fall is upon us, and things are about to get super 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 busy, so we wanted to step in and make an official statement and say, sweet, like life is about to get super busy and we just want to officially say that is awesome. Because I don't know why or when, but at some point in the recent past, busy became a swear word of sorts. Uh, I don't know why or how, but at some point in the recent past, busy got a bad rap and it became a bad thing. It's a word that we use if we want to garner pity or if we want to, you know, gain commiseration. Like, how are you doing? I'm so busy. No! Me too, I'm busy. Let's commiserate in this. Situation, But at some point, busy became a terrible thing, and we just want to kind of step in and say, we're about to get busy, and busy is awesome, because busy is just another way of saying life is full. Busy is just another way of saying my calendar is full. How are you doing? Life is full. No, God forbid. No, that's actually a great thing. Did you know that no one ever regretted being busy? In fact, no one ever even regretted being too busy. Do you know what people regret? People regret being too busy doing the wrong things. As a matter of fact, um, one of the top five regrets of people on their deathbeds, I just thought I'd start with a really inspiring thing here. But um, regret number two from people who are dying is they will say, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And when that is teased out, what it ends up translating into is not that I I wish I wasn't as busy as I have been. It's that I wish I hadn't been busy running after things that ultimately didn't matter. And they will say, I missed my family. I missed faith. I missed legacy. I missed the things that ultimately mattered. Most No one ever regrets running around like a crazy person. People regret running around like crazy people to the places that when it's all said and done don't really matter. And the sun sets and I look back in retrospect and wish I had chosen to do other things. And we just want to step in and say busy is awesome provided you choose to be the best kind of busy. I'm sure uh, most of you are, are familiar with the, um, the jar illustration. That's become pretty popular um, recently. But the jar illustration is an illustration about it, an empty jar. And uh, the goal is to fill this empty jar, most effectively, most efficiently, to fill this empty jar with a number of different objects, a number of different things. Um, uh, rocks and pebbles and sand. And the question is, how do you most effectively and efficiently fill this jar to the full? And the empty jar looks something like this, right? And how do you get that stuff into the jar? And and if we had time to ask you for your thoughts on this, I'm sure your brilliance would come to the surface really quickly and you would identify, well, the best way to fill this jar most effectively is to put the big rocks in first. And then with the space that's left over, you'd put the, the, the pebbles in. And then with the space in the margin that's left, you would put the sand to fill the jar. Because if you are not a smart person, you might try and fill this jar by putting the sand in first, which will cause you to run out of room for the pebbles and cause you to definitely run out of room for the rocks. And you end up looking ridiculous like that. It's not what you want to do. But if you put the rocks in first and leave room and then you put in the pebbles and you put in the sand, you get to fill it to the full. Like this, right? Now, in this illustration, I'm sure you can piece together that the jar represents our lives. And these three different things represent the kinds of stuff and things that we we want to fill our lives with. The rocks obviously represent the most important things. Things th- th- that if we chased after and found that we had no time to do any of the other things, but we got the rocks in the jar, we would live our lives saying, I lived a good and full life. And those things typically r- relate to faith, our, our God. And, and, you know, whoever that might be for you. For us, it's the God of the Bible and the Son, Jesus Christ, um, it it represents a whole lot of people stuff like your spouse and and your your kids and the relationships in the world around you and how you can love the broken and help the people in need that's the stuff of rocks the pebbles um really represent Well, good things, in fact, they represent the things that help us to enjoy the rocks, help us to enjoy the most important things, like your job, Um, work. That oftentimes helps us to enjoy family and provide for the people we care for, and we're better able to love the people um, around us effectively. And then the sand, that's, you know, speaking about fine and fun things, you know, um, things like, your kids' sports, Um, things like family vacations. Whoa, boo-hoo! Family vacation is an A. No, it's not. Some of us, in fact, many of us may never be able to go on a family vacation, but that doesn't dictate whether or not we get to make the most of time with our families. Because you can do that without spending thousands of dollars. It's about the people. That's an A issue. That you do it in the Bahamas, that's a sea level issue. That's a sand related issue. This is referring to Netflix and this is referring to fantasy football. No offense, guys. Um, but this is just referencing. F- fun stuff. And we know what this is saying is that if I fill my life with sand or if I fill my life with pebbles and I don't have room for the rocks, at the end of the day I will look back and say I wish my life wasn't so busy. But the issue isn't busy. The issue is how I chose to fill my jar to the full. In fact, I love that Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. What's he saying? I have come that the jar of your life would be filled to overflowing. But Let me decide what the priorities are. I know what a full life really looks like. Not as culture dictates it, not as you dictate it, but as I dictate it. And so we just want to talk for a number of weeks and say, listen, we acknowledge the fall is about to be busy. And we say, that is awesome. Busy is full and full is awesome awesome. The question is, are we going to be busy about the right things? The question is, are we going to put the most important things in our lives first? Or are we going to get to the end of the sequence and look back in retrospect and find ourselves wishing or regretting? Uh, My wife and I Um, not too many weeks ago, had a conversation where we started this process that we try and have on an annual basis. And the question was, okay, what things go in first? What things go in first? We know things are about to get crazy. And we are sick and tired of getting to the end of the crazy season and looking back and saying, oh my goodness, what happened? It felt like life was living us. We are tired of getting into the middle of the busy season and finding that we don't feel like we're deciding. We're just constantly reacting and living retrospectively. And so we want to project and look forward and make the decision. What rocks do we want to make sure go in first? And do you know that that is not an easy conversation to have? Because every time you start to talk about what are the rocks and what rocks go in first, it inevitably, inevitably is going to lead to the place where something you really, really love and you've done for years and years and years and you really, really, really value has to go. And that's not an easy conversation. We've been doing this as a staff in the last number of weeks. In fact, we, we mapped out on you know, our whiteboard all of the things we do as a church. And we started to ask questions. Is this thing a rock? Is this thing a pebble? Is this thing sand? Is this what we believe God has called us to focus on? Is this something that just ends up happening and so we go after it? Uh, Is this thing just something we can do without? That's a difficult conversation because we found ourselves having to cut out of our life and ministry as a church certain things that we love and we enjoy doing, but we realize this is not a priority issue. So it has to go. Um, I've been going through a process personally uh, where I've been working with some geniuses with calendar and schedule, and they've been saying, how many hours do you have in a week? Okay, this many hours. How many things are you doing in a week? Okay, Uh, immediately we have a problem. That all can't fit in here. And the things that can fit, what are the priorities? And that's a difficult process because it always means that the things I may love and enjoy, which are often sand things, I need to start saying no, to. So, here's what this series is. This series is, in, in many ways, inviting us as a church into that same process as the busyness starts to commence. It's an invitation for all of us to together start to ask the questions, are we going to pursue the best kind of busy? And we as a church just want to say, you're going to be busy. In fact, we're like, we hope you are super busy. But first, Make sure the things that matter the most go in first. All right. All of that to say this. We just happen to believe that one of the rocks, one of the priorities, one of the things you need to make sure there is room in your jar for is the church. Belonging and being a part of the church. (laughs) Now, I I have to admit, that works out nicely for me, working for a church, getting up and saying, and we think that one of the priorities ought to be the church. Um, But beyond that, we're convinced this is a biblical Priority, And so over the next number of weeks, we want to talk about why we would say that and what that actually looks like played out. What does that actually look like over the course of this season? But this morning, we just want to ask the question, why? Why would you say that the church ought to be a rock, ought to be a priority, ought to be something we make sure goes in first as we look at the season Coming up, and I could tell you, but it'll be easier for me to show you. Every couple of years or so, um, we will have this same conversation. Uh, if you've been around Mission Point for a while, we're going to share things that are going to sound super familiar and even repetitive. But we believe that the most important things bear repeating. Uh, but we want to talk again. We, we want to revisit why is involvement and connection to the church so critical. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can go to Genesis chapter 2. We're actually going to go way back um, to the beginning. Um, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're going to have the verses up here um, on the screen. We'd love to get a, a hard copy into your hands. So if you don't own a copy, please head to the connection corner out the back doors after the service, and we'll be happy uh, to get one into your hands. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter Um, Before we get there, I want to read a a funky verse of Scripture um, from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Now, in in Ephesians chapter 5, it's a really famous passage in which Paul is talking about all things love and all things marriage. He's talking about husbands, you ought to love your wives and wives submit to your husbands, even when neither deserve it. Um, and at the end of this portrait, his painting of the perfect marriage, Paul adds these super mysterious words. Verse 31, we'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. It says, for this reason, a man, and this reason being marriage, a man will leave his father, and mother, and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. One flesh. That's just code for... Um, Then verse 32, he says, thank you. Uh, Verse 32, he says, this is a profound mystery. This whole marriage thing, man leaving his mother and father and being united to his wife and, you know, pursuing this perfect relationship. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is super awesome and it's great and husbands ought to love their wives and wives submit to their husbands and they ought to figure out how to selflessly sacrificially love each other. And ultimately he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And the thing that Paul is saying, the profound mystery Paul is revealing is that marriage ultimately exists to point to and to paint a picture of Jesus and the way that he has selflessly and sacrificially loved an undeserving people called the church. That Jesus came to this earth and he laid down his life to see an undeserving group of people come rushing to life and become everything that they were called and created to be. In fact, Paul is saying this is a profound mystery. He's suggesting that from the very first moment that God created marriage, it was always designed to paint a picture and to point to Jesus and the way Jesus has loved his bride, the church. So, The way Paul does that is by taking a quote from Genesis chapter 2, from the very first wedding, from the very first marriage, and he brings it into Ephesians chapter 5. Again, it's his way of saying, listen, this whole marriage thing that you all get to enjoy, and your parents got to enjoy, and whoever else got to enjoy, it was always, ultimately, about Jesus and his church. In fact, why don't we leave Ephesians for a moment and go back to that first wedding day in Genesis chapter 2, to the story um, of the first marriage. Genesis chapter um, 2. And uh, many of you know the creation account. It is super awesome. If you've never read it, I would so strongly encourage you um, to read it and just let it blow your mind. But in the creation account... God has been busy, um, interestingly enough. Uh, He spent a full five days creating the universe. He's created animals. He's created planets. um, He's created angels at some point. We don't know when. Um, He's created birds. He's he's created whales and, and all of that. But... All of that awesomeness in God's creation for five days has all been ramping up. It's all been a prelude. It's been leading up to him finally creating the epitome of all of his creative genius. He is leading up and he's about to create the highlight of his creation, the apple of his eye. This is the epitome. This is his masterpiece. And he finally pulls it off. And it's... Us. It's human beings. And so on the sixth day, God creates a dude um, named Adam, and he takes Adam and he puts him in this perfect, flawless paradise called Eden. a garden um, that is called Eden. Everything is right. In fact, everything is so right that at the end of every day, at the end of every creative um, experience, God would just brag on himself, except it's not bragging when you're God. But I mean, he would finish day one and he would be like, woo, so good. So good. You get to day two, and it's like great work. You know, day three is like awesome. Day four is like o m me. You know, Um, and he's doing he's doing this for day after day after day, which is what makes what we run into in chapter two, verse eighteen, so shocking. Because the rhythm of God's satisfaction, this refrain he would utter at the end of every day, it's all good, comes to a screeching halt with an announcement none of us would expect if we didn't know it was coming. He says in verse 18, it is not good, God says. Whoa, what's not good? Well, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for this man to be alone. He'll kill himself on junk food and and, and fantasy football. But apparently God didn't like the fact That Adam didn't have a suitable helper. By the way, I've got to say this really quickly. Uh, When God says it's not good, he's not saying like, oh, something in creation is incorrect. No, he's saying something in creation is incomplete. I have a cosmic purpose, and I have a cosmic plan. And in order for my cosmic purpose and plan to be fulfilled, this dude cannot be single. For instance, I want to fill this earth with people, with variety, and with diversity, and with ethnicities, and with cultures, and with tribes, and with people groups. And for that to happen, this dude cannot be riding solo. So God is saying, everything is fine, it's just not finished. There's still something we need to complete. And then God, being a genius, brings this to Adam's attention in a really, really um, fantastic way. Look at verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he, the man, would name them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock. The birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This is really cool what God does. Um, part of Adam's calling to name the animals required him to meticulously study Discovery Channel style, their habits and their patterns and their propensities and what they did in order to decide what was the most appropriate name to give each one. And I'm still curious. I still want to ask Adam wow okay, wow but what on earth was it doing, you know, to deserve that name? Um, I would ask him about cats, but we all know that came after the fall. Um, but... Adam is naming animals and um, as he is circumspectly studying these animals a very obvious pattern starts to rush to the surface. Adam is like, hmm, 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 hmm. Even Pepe Le Pew has a Madame Le Skunk, you know, and he's realizing like, wait a minute, everybody's got a special somebody except me. I don't have a spooning buddy. And the Lord looks at this and says, yep, I wanted you to see that. That is not Good. I'm not finished. In fact, there's one more final piece I need to put in place, and Adam, you're going to love this one, but it's a surprise, so God will put you to sleep. And look at what it says in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he, Adam, was sleeping, God took one of the man's ribs and then closed up that place with? We don't know how long Adam was sleeping, three minutes, three days, three hours, however long. Uh, We just know that while Adam was sleeping, God goes to work on completing what was incomplete. Seems like some of the best things happen while men are sleeping. But he, he goes on to making a suitable helper for Adam. And man, the way he did this though. I don't care who you are. This is awesome. Verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her, the woman, to the man. Now, no matter how many times I read that, I've got to read that again, so I'm going to do that right now. The the, the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought the woman to the man. Made a woman from a... But again, I just think we sometimes read the Bible so casually, we just gloss over some of the most mystifying things. Who makes a woman out of a, a rib? That is really, really hard to do. And by the way, this is when I know that the Bible has to be true. Because if you sit down and you're like, oh, we want to make a fake book and deceive millions and millions and millions, this might be a detail you might want to omit. And then one time, time God took a rib and made a woman. That's so dumb. It has to be true. And it has to be so super awesome. But God makes this woman, and now he is finished. And now the world is perfect. My friends love to remind me. Um, I'm sure you can guess what gender loves to remind me of this. But it's like, in the beginning, God made man, And then he was like, "Psh! I can do better than that. And then he made a woman. And I'm like, yeah, i got nothing. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds about right. I can't argue. But when God is done with this magnificent creature, she is a masterpiece. He saved his best for last. Beauty unmatched by anything he had created on earth or in heaven to that point. She is elegant. She is flawless. She is breathtaking in every way. She is in a league of her own. And then God brings her and presents her to Adam. And So Adam wakes up from his sleep and he stretches and yawns and, and does whatever else um, men do when they wake up. And then he sees this woman. And um, well. Let's just say uh, about nine months later, baby number one is running around. It is love at first sight, no doubt. The man starts to prophesy immediately. He, he starts to compose poetry on the spot in attempting to describe the magnitude of this moment he is caught up in. Verse 23 The man said, this is now bone of my bones and and flesh of my flesh. And by the way, in English, that just sounds like super carnivorous. But in the Hebrew, it's beautiful poetry. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And by the way, I love the significance of what Adam says. I love the significance of Eve, his wife, being taken from his side. And and Matthew Henry, uh, a theological commentator, just puts such beautiful words around this. Look at at what he says about Eve being created um, from Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him. So don't even try it. She was not made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. So don't even go there. But out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. God creates her to be the companion suitable, the partner at his side. But more than that, God creates her. Out of Adam's flesh and out of Adam's bone, which is so super cool because it means that whatever Adam was made out of, the stuff Adam was made out of, Eve is now made of the exact same stuff. So if Adam was made out of the stuff to rule over the creatures of the earth and Eve was a co-ruler with him, if Adam was made out of the stuff to commune with God, then Eve can now have fellowship with God. If Adam was made out of the stuff to live forever and ever and ever, then Eve was designed to live forever and ever and ever. It's this picture of essential equality and beautiful partnership. Because finally, Adam says, someone who's just like me. Finally, someone to enjoy this glorious paradise along with me. Finally, someone to join me in the mission God has given me to make him known and to rule over the earth. Finally a suitable helper, just like me, just for me. And so he gives her a name that captures all of those ideas. He calls her woman. And if you read the story of Adam and Eve, you know that Adam would love her so deeply and so profoundly. I'm not saying he always loved her wisely, but I'm saying he loved her deeply and he loved her so profoundly. In fact, he loved her so much that he would be willing to give up the garden for her. He would be willing to be separated from God for her he would be willing to face the wrath and judgment of God for her. Because Adam, you know, if you touch this fruit, you will surely die. I know, but I've got to go with her on this one. You know if you eat this fruit, you will be booted out of the garden. I know, but where she goes, I'm going to go with her. Not saying it was wise, but saying he was deeply in love with her. And finally, at the end of all of this, the author of the book of Genesis throws in that phrase that we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. Here it is in verse 24. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And right there in Genesis chapter 2, God presided over the very first wedding. Then you get to Ephesians chapter 5, and then Paul goes back to Genesis chapter 2 and says, now this is a profound mystery, by the way, that as awesome as that story was, it was just a preview. It was just a forecast good love story in its own right don't mean to put it down. But it was just a preview. This is a profound mystery because the real story is about Jesus. The real story is about Jesus who existed in eternity past. In a heavenly paradise perfect in every way. He was the center of unending and unbroken praise. And yet Philippians chapter two tells us that there was a day when Jesus decided that he was going to put on flesh and bone He was going to put on humanity, and he was going to leave that perfect paradise and make a trip to our world. Not the same paradise of Eden, not the same perfect world that Adam lived in, but now it's been distorted by sin, and death has entered into the picture. It is a dark world, and Jesus is taking a trip to come to our world, and the question is, why? When he arrives, the Apostle Paul refers to him as the second, or better yet, the last Adam. And it calls Jesus, he is the bridegroom from heaven. Wait, why is he here? Now, I need you to breathe for a second. Uh, Theologically, we'll resolve this in a second. But he was here because apparently it was not good for Christ to be alone. God wanted a companion. God wanted a helper suitable just for his son, just for his bridegroom. Now, let me be very clear. When I say not good, I don't mean there was anything wrong. Jesus was all fine by himself, completely sufficient, eternally self-contained. We're not saying there was something incorrect or incomplete or insufficient about Jesus. But we're saying God had a, a cosmic and a master plan. And in God's plan, his son needed a suitable helper. I want to tell a story of my love. I want to tell a story of my glory. I want to tell a story of my grace. I want to tell a story of my redemption. And in order for me to do that, my son, woo, he needs a bride. And so Jesus comes to the earth to get him a girl. The real story is about Jesus. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. This is so interesting. It says, And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the sake of the church. And the church, verse 23, is his body. And the church is the fullness of him, Jesus, who fills everything in every way. You should just read that over a number of times. That Jesus is the one who fills everything in every way, and yet somehow the church is the fullness that fills the one who fills everything. And that makes sense. It's this picture of Jesus until, you know, he has his bride by his side. Something is missing. It's not broken, but something in the perfect plan of God is missing. Because a bridegroom without a bride, why even call him a bridegroom? He is the head, but a head without a body, there's something that's not yet quite finished. Jesus came to the earth to find a bride, a companion suitable only for him, and Paul calls her the church. The problem was when Jesus got here, the church was all kinds of messed up. She was running after every lover who even hinted at promising her pleasure or or security. She had racked up debt that she couldn't. Pay. She was covered in shame. She was covered in guilt. She was covered in brokenness, rejected and unwanted. And for some reason known only to God, Jesus Christ said, yep, I want her. And beyond that, he set his deepest affections on her. And he chose to madly love her. And he was determined he would do anything to be with her. And Paul calls her the church. And the angels are totally like, we do not know what he sees in her. Mm, mm -mm. But because of her sin, because of her rebellion, Jesus could only have her if he was willing to pay the steepest of prices. And I can almost imagine this conversation in which God is saying, Son, you realize that if you choose to be with her, you are going to get kicked out of this paradise, and I'm going to turn my back on you. I I know, but I'm going to go with her on this one. You realize that if you touch her, you will surely die. If you embrace her, you will surely die. And Jesus says, I know. And in the greatest gesture of love ever known to man, Jesus climbed on the cross, spread his arms in this sacrificial posture, proposing to the unworthy people called the church, will you marry me? Paid for her debt, covered over her brokenness in order to make her his Own. And God is like, okay, all right, all right, I see you want her. All right, let's go for it. I'll work on this. You go to sleep. And so while Jesus is sleeping, for three days, we know how long he slept. God goes to work on starting to create what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 calls a masterpiece created. in Christ. And by the way, when you read the language of the New Testament of the church is created in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, you know what that means? Bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. Whatever stuff Jesus is made of, she's now made of the same stuff. If Jesus is made of ruling the earth stuff, then you better believe she will reign with him. If Jesus is made of stuff to commune with his father for eternity, then you better believe the church gets. To connect with God forever and ever and ever and ever. And you better believe if Jesus is on a mission to redeem and to rescue the lost and the broken in the world around us, he has now called her to be his mission partner in going after the broken. She is the companion, bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh, now made out of the same stuff he's made out of. And Paul calls her the church. The church, this undeserving people, this undeserving, the church pictures her as a bride that Jesus was willing to pay the steepest of prices to redeem. And if you think Eve was beautiful, you have not beheld Jesus' church. There is nothing that God has ever created as beautiful as his church. She's glorious. She is the wisdom of God on display. You know what God displays in his house when he wants to brag about how wise he is? Do you know what God tells every heavenly being on the dark side? When he wants to tell them, I'm awesome, he points at the church. You want to see my wisdom on display, (laughs) look at the church. She is the apple of his eye. His bragging right. Jesus' heart flutters every time he looks at her. Nothing can separate her from his love. The very passion of his heart. And Paul calls her the church. And he says, this is a profound mystery. That for this reason, a man will leave his father in heaven and come down to earth to be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. And oh, I'm speaking about Jesus and the church. Your marriage is just a picture of that reality, the church. And all we are saying, we cannot be casual about what Jesus is crazy about. If Jesus loves the church that much, we cannot show up and decide she's going to be an afterthought on our calendar. If she is that central in his agenda and his affections, we cannot legitimately come and say, well, you know what? If we have time to fit her into the jar of our lives, then maybe. Jesus says she is a rock, and she deserves the same place in your agenda that she has in mine, and it is not a peripheral place. I love her, and I serve her with my life, and I realize she's not always perfect. I realize that she's brightzilla half the time, but I'm working on that. She is my church. She is my woman. And I think what we've often done, and we've even justified it in the ways that we we think, is like, no, you don't understand. I'm hip, man. I'm cool. I've got this new swag theology that says, um, I love Jesus. I'm just not into his church. Um, Can I just assure you, Jesus will never take that as a compliment. Ever. No, 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 Kondo, we love you. Your wife, not so much. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Okay, so the apple of my eye is sour to you. Yeah, it's just, we're not into that. But we do that all the time. It's like, no, I want to, to love Jesus, and I want to serve Jesus, but I don't want to serve the one he loves and the one that he serves. And Jesus is saying, do you know how passionate I am about my church? You're going to come after me and ignore the one I came after? And by the way, can I just tell you that what Jesus is doing on earth, he's doing through the church. The church is his body. The church is the extension of Jesus' work into the earth. So for somebody to say, I don't want anything to do, you know, I'm going to just be a thumb, thank you, just flying solo by myself. You're going to gangrene so quick, that's not even cool. The church is the center of Jesus' activity on earth. And and not only that, when you think about the reality of, of who the church is on earth, it is the only organization Jesus is going to come back for when he returns. It is the only institution on the face of the planet that is going to live outside of time and into eternity. My marriage is going to be done when I die. But the church will live on and on and on. I'm just telling you, if you want to invest in or or serve something or, or make a priority of something, make a priority of something he makes a priority of, knowing that this thing will live forever and ever and ever and ever. And so I'm just saying to you as parents, when the business starts, make sure that your family has figured out a way to prioritize. We're going to be involved in and we're going to connect to the church. And if we don't end up having time for that sport, so be it. I mean, No offense to soccer. I don't know if there'll be soccer in, in heaven. Tennis, yes, but I don't know if there'll be soccer there. But what does it look like for you to communicate to your family, this matters to Jesus and therefore must matter to us. When he looks at the jar of our lives, we want to make sure that the rock of the church is... A part of it. Now, over the next number of weeks, we want to talk about what does that look like? If he is so passionate about the church, and if the church is a means to which he wants to grow us and, and disciple us, uh, what does it look like for us to be plugged in? And by the way, thank you for a movement of you. This is rare. Somebody asked me just the other day, uh, what do you love about being a part of Mission Point? I'm like, the folks there are so keen to get involved in what matters most to Jesus. I can't tell you how beautiful it is for me to stand in front of a church that I know is not going to be like, boo, to getting involved. This is just a fresh invitation for all of us as we start to think about what things we're going to prioritize in our lives. And let me just say, the church is so central, and I Just have to be clear on this. The church is central in the agenda of Jesus, not Mission Point Community Church. Some of you are just guests, and you're going to go back to your home church. Some of you are going to sit at Mission Point for a season and be like, I don't want to get involved or plugged in there. We're like, okay. But we still hope you get involved and plugged in somewhere where the church is. Because it's not so much about this house. It's about his house. It's not about this church body. It's about his body. It's about the church at large. And so we would encourage you, even if it's not here, get plugged in somewhere. But over the next number of weeks, we want to talk about what does that look like? Does it mean like, oh, man, 40 hours a week? Does it mean we have to go to every activity? Does that mean, oh, man, we cannot skip church because you know they're going to look at us funny? Um, you know, does that mean that, you know, we have to be involved in every area of ministry? No, we want to talk about what that actually looks like in a biblical and a balanced way but this morning we just want to say when you get home and you carry on this conversation with your family ask the question and please know there are a number of us asking the same questions how do we want to be involved this year how do we want to make sure that as business hits we are plugging in and we are serving his church so lord thank you so much for making us a part of your church Um, thank you for all of us who are on the receiving end of your grace. Thank you that you're willing to be separated from your Father. You're willing to leave heaven. You're willing to serve us in our mess and in our brokenness and in the many ways we are disappointing. And you loved us still. And now we just pray, Lord, that we would serve your church the way we, your church, have been served by you. And so I pray for for families to make difficult and courageous decisions to figure out how do we want to make sure we make room for this? That as busyness comes inevitably, how do we want to make sure that first we are putting in the things that are most important? So thanks for allowing us to be a part. Thanks for inviting us to ride off into eternity with you. And thanks for inviting us to be part of the adventure of your mission while we are here on earth. We are honored by that, and we want to live that out well. In your great name we pray. Amen.